Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and culture. Hey, I'm Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my co-host, the Adam Hawkins and Elizabeth Woodson. Elizabeth, are you fabulous today? I'm always fabulous. Yes, you mm. are. <laughs> Adam Hawkins, how you doing today, buddy? Feeling free. Feeling free. <laughs> Thank you for the segue to our topic for today. <laughs> today, we're going to talk about religious liberty, which you might think, hey, we've got tons of that in America. Why do we even need to talk about this? Or do you? <laughs> Well, (laughs) decision 2020, guys. (laughs) Well, religious liberty, it is something I have a lot of thoughts on. I'm sure Elizabeth and Adam do too. And I'm looking forward to this episode. So let's get right to religious liberty. All right. Well, we're going to start talking about religious liberty. And Adam, I'm going to get to you in a second, since you are uh, the only person in the room who passed the bar exam. So I assume you have the constitution memorized. And you've probably fought a lot of religious liberty cases when you were on the Supreme Court. And um, yep, no, I do. Yep, I've argued several (laughs) times before the Supreme Court. But uh, let's start out with this: what is what is religious liberty? What comes to mind when you think about religious liberty, Elizabeth? I mean, I think in a really simple fashion, the freedom for you to believe religiously whatever you believe, to be able to be part of communities, and to govern yourself within those communities, connecting to freedom of speech, um, so the, be- the ability to communicate about that, to share about that, um, and to live as such a way in America that um, corresponds with your religious beliefs, which is probably part of this conversation because of what we believe as Christians and how that might be pressing up against some of our freedoms. Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so some of the, the debate might be around, well, what if our religious liberties conflict? Yep. What if I believe I can practice like that? You believe you can practice like that? Is there a common ground that we have to create? Mm-hmm. And can you have religious liberty and a public common ground? Adam, what comes to mind for you or what definitions do you have for religious liberty? Yeah, I think it would be... Um the freedom to practice your religion uh, and the freedom from being opposed, imposed upon by others to practice a religion. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. How does that, like, how does that form uh, historically? Why would that have been an important part of our founding fathers um, definition of religious liberty? Well, because you had state churches, right? Uh, And and in some places in many places uh, for a very long time, uh, you had to, um, practice whatever the state said you had to practice. Uh, uh, It was imposed upon you. Uh, A a lighter version of that would be to say there was a state religion, and and while you may not have had to um, say, you you may not have had to, by law, be that certain religion, uh, in order to be a mover and shaker in society, you may have had to be a part of that state religion. Uh, And so there's sort of informal ways that you might have been, you know, discriminated against. Now, there are a lot of countries in the world that do not have any religious freedom. Some have state religion still, and some don't a lot. Like, uh, I have some friends from Afghanistan that it's very bizarre to them now to be in America where somebody could own a Bible or talk about Christ or proselytize and where they came from. If uh, I had my friend uh, Muhammad told me if he had a Bible or if he told somebody he was a Christian, they would have killed his father. That was where he grew up. That was the culture he grew up in. Whereas we have a constitution that says... Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And then it goes on to talk about freedom of speech, freedom of the press, the right of the people to peaceably assemble, 
but those words, no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Now, most commonly, when you talk about freedom of religion, there's a few words that uh, we use that aren't actually in the Constitution, which are the separation of? Church and state. Yes, separation of church and state. Good job, Adam. Excellent Thanks. answer. <laughs> I knew that too. <laughs> Good job, Elizabeth. Sorry, Elizabeth was right there. I could see it. She was, she was mouthing the words as you said it, it actually. So. Probably quicker than me. We're splitting the points. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what does that mean, separation of church and state? And here's one of the big questions. Is that different than the First Amendment? Like just when the First Amendment says, you shall make no law respecting the establishment of a religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, and yet we we kind of throw out a separation of church and state. Is that the same thing? Or what what comes to mind when you hear the word separation of church and state? Well, I mean, I think in some ways, yes, it's the same, and in other ways, no. So let me say it this way. There's, a, there's two clauses that you just talked about. There's two things happening in that First Amendment as it relates to religion. The first one is the establishment. They're not going to pass any laws respecting the establishment of a religion. The point there is to say there's not going to be a state church. We're not going to make you practice something. The second is, and you're also free to practice what you want. Uh, and they're both important, right? Mm -hmm. Now, when people talk about, so in that sense, there is a separation of a of the church from the state, in which it, it, what that means is you're not going to be forced to be an Anglican or something like that, right? Um, but I think what most people think when they hear separation of church and state is that the state is totally secular. There can be no religious anything right, right. Uh, in the state. Uh, you know, in in the government, what you know, whatsoever. So to have in God we trust on a coin is, which is not that doesn't make you practice a certain type of religion, right? Uh, but they would say, man, that is a that's a violation of this principle of separation of church and state. And to your point, Adam, that's not really in there. Yeah. Uh, that that idea of of everything religious and everything. Um, uh, 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 governmental has to be completely separate. That's that's actually not in there, no, and that's fact, not how the case law has developed either. So. Right, and I would argue the law. The reason the amendments in there is not to protect the government from religion. That's right. It's not to hey, let's make sure that this government isn't unduly influenced or unduly uh, populated by religious people. It's rather quite the opposite to say our country will not tell people or religions what they can do. That's right. It's, to, it's in there to protect the religions, but it has evolved over the years, sure. at least in the public sphere, to believe that uh, people will say it like this. Now, we don't so much have a freedom of religion, we practice a freedom from religion. What does that mean? We don't practice a freedom of religion, we practice a freedom from religion. I think it goes back to what we were just saying, the, that idea that they don't have to practice anything. Mm -hmm. um, and so anytime, what they really mean is they... I think this is this might be a bit pejorative, but it's to say I have it, the right to not have to come in contact with any religious views whatsoever. Right. right. So it's like, yeah, you can pray, but that better be in the privacy of your own home. Mm -hmm. In other words, it's more saying we're going to remove religion from the public sector altogether. Mm -hmm. And that's where you see a lot of the fights, actually. Yeah. Um, so it's not just, hey... Uh, yeah, people can do what they want. It's uh, people can do what they want, but it better not come anywhere near mm -hmm. me. So, like, if you're gonna pray in school at all, or if you're gonna, you know, you get these weird fights where it's like, well, no, the school didn't 
say you had to pray. That's a bunch of the students wanting to gather and pray, but people will say, well, that infringes on my right because it makes me feel like I have to do X, Y, or Z. Right. Does that, does that make no, sense? I'm totally on mm-hmm. the same page. And I think we have gotten to a place now where ironically, in the name of religious freedom, we've made it where you should really shouldn't practice your religion publicly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in the name of saying you can believe whatever you want, we've said you can't believe anything near me outside of a secular version. And this is related a lot to our episode mm-hmm. on secular humanism mm-hmm. that says there's an unbiased, uh, equal ground if we just uh, find some place where religion is not involved at all. And therefore, we've made it where almost in order to be a judge or a police officer or a, a teacher or a counselor, you have to do that uh, removed from your Christian views. So uh, in other words, when I was a teacher, uh, it was like I couldn't be a Christian publicly. I could be a Christian privately. But in the name of freedom of religion for the sake of the kids I was teaching, the implication was, or at least the understanding was for a lot of people, you can't tell people about your religion. When the truth is, no, the Constitution makes it so you can't tell me not to tell people about my religion. Now, I get it that proselytization and evangelization in certain contexts and in certain power imbalances is probably inappropriate in a lot of circumstances. If I were to use a position in a public sphere in order to act like a pastor in that sphere to say, you need to believe this, that could be uncomfortable or even wrong. But to be in any public position and say, I'm not allowed to be a Christian in that position is exactly why this law exists, to prevent that from saying, hey, you can't be a judge if you're a Christian, or you can't be a counselor if you're a Christian, you can't be a teacher if you're a Christian. That's why we have freedom of religion. No, exactly the opposite. You can't tell me not to be in these positions Mm -hmm. and be a Christian. Mm -hmm. And you can't tell me that my Christian views cannot influence the decisions I make. So I don't want a freedom from religion. I want a freedom of religion. And for some reason, and this is another one of my soapboxes, in this day and age, we have made it in a culture that is so free in religion, uncomfortable to ask people what they believe about God, Mm -hmm. as if that's too personal, too political, or it's too offensive. Mm -hmm. I I can even remember talking with one of my neighbors who thought he was very high-minded and said, I just believe that all religions basically follow the same God. You can believe whatever you want. And I responded to that, wow, okay, well, I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And then he had a huge problem with what I believed. And I'm like, what irony here that you'd say, I can believe whatever I want. (laughs) But if I tell you, I just believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, you have a problem with it? Yeah. So you believe in a version of religion that's only okay if we're all okay with everything or everybody's okay with nothing. And that's kind of the social religion that I see often right now. Do Mm -hmm. you guys see that a lot in culture? It says they have tolerance. Yes. But tolerance doesn't work because you're intolerant of my faith, even though my faith says your faith is invalid outside of Jesus Christ. Um, And just this idea that, because I think the dynamic of America has always had um, a first place religion, so to speak. And for much of that, it's been Christianity. And so I think the idea of religious liberty that we all are able to live with each other, having different views, we've never really done well. Um, And so now Christianity has just been replaced with no religion. And that is the one that we point people to instead of Christianity kind of being these values that are placed everywhere. Now the religion that is prominent is the religion of no religion. Yeah. Um, Because we just, as a culture, have never really done well with diversity in any sphere. Yeah. And I think you bring up an interesting point too, because the familiarity of Christianity, Mm -hmm. where it's so prominent, 
then our culture in the public sphere can rip on Christianity in ways that are they would not do in other religions. Mm-hmm. So a really easy example would be we have members of Congress who are Muslim women and therefore cover their heads. Mm-hmm. And no one would decry that. Well, maybe I shouldn't say no one. There's not a public outcry to say, hey, that's sexist. Mm -hmm. Why does she have to cover her head just because she's a woman? But if you had a woman in Congress who was Christian and therefore wore a bonnet and said, I'm a very traditional Christian, I think I should cover my head, people would say, out of familiarity with Christian religion publicly, you'd say, well, that's sexist. Why would a Christian Mm -hmm. man make his wife cover her head Mm -hmm. or say she couldn't hold a certain job? Do traditional Christian women wear bonnets? It's circumstances, yes. <laughs> and jean skirts to the ankles. We yes. can talk about that on a podcast. <laughs> Let's talk about bonnet life next episode. We'll call it a bee in my bonnet. Well, oh. since we're a little off track, oh. bonnet talk. No, it was great. I just didn't, I didn't realize oh, that. You learned something it's new. It's a real thing, okay. yeah. Okay. Oh, sure. And there's still a lot of cultures where if you go to church, women wear hats. Sure. You're going to wear a hat. And so it's not sexist, it's maybe traditional or maybe even theological. Yeah. But because of the familiarity with Christianity, we would say, no, that's sexist. Well, what's interesting too about this debate, and I think I've seen the corrective have to come in, is because the Christian to, to Elizabeth's point, because Christianity was sort of the dominant religion, if if mm-hmm. that might not be the right way to put it, but in some sense it's was the dominant religion for so long. Um Christians didn't have to be religiously tolerant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you've had to see this corrective, and I don't know if you guys have seen it, but like in the news, you'll see Christians like vociferously like protesting that a mosque is being built somewhere. And what you don't realize is like, dude, you are literally arguing against yourself right now. Yeah. And so I think it's important for us to know that it just by saying, hey, people should be free to exercise their religion, that is not a... That is not a uh, vote for, you know what I'm saying, or that's not you necessarily supporting their religion. Right. If we, it's not syncretistic. It's not syncretistic. We're all the same. Yeah. Because at the at the end of the day, and this is something we're gonna have to, we're all gonna have to sort of be in this fight together. Every religion, to be honest with you, because um, uh, what's what we're fighting is in a sense an uphill battle. Um, it's Mm -hmm. it's not it. we are going to have to protect the religious liberty of all religions, I, yeah, I think yeah. is the point. Um, and and yes, Christianity will still be the dominant religion here, uh, just statistically speaking and everything else. But I think um, we just need to be careful because what, what we've seen is us sort of making arguments against religious liberty. I, I have for seen other the religions. Church, for have. other religions, ex- yeah. but we'll make the argument for Christianity, and we just got to be careful. That's that's actually really inconsistent, yeah, and what an awesome hurts point. us. Yeah, because I think with this narrative of triumphalism, or this narrative that we need to regain the day, mm. um, and so, like you said, someone's building a mosque in our community. Well, they're the enemy, and we need to shut it down. And so, really, the way that we process what it means to coexist with other people who don't believe what we believe, and not see it as this, hey, we need to go evangelize to get a notch on my belt but I need to be in community with people as the people of God. And not that we don't, the gospel isn't verbal, but it's it's a longer process. It's relational. Um, and it's, we're not called this idea that we want to win, that Christians want to win. Um, and we do that over being witnesses for what it means to love the Lord. And you know what, what is interesting based on uh, what you guys are talking about right now, about Christianity being dominant, being the majority maybe of all the religions in our country and us having a real affinity right now as a culture for the underdog, the disadvantaged, 
and as a social atmosphere for millennial generation to say, how do we help them? There is a level of generous grace that is afforded a smaller religion that is not afforded Christianity. That's true. And so I do see Christianity really characterized as hateful and bigoted, and there will be other religions that would practice the same thing, but it would be offensive if you called that yeah. person's religion sure. offensive or, or bigoted. And it's because we none of us like to see an imbalance of power where the strong pick on the weak, we, and mm-hmm. we don't like to see the, the weak getting beat up, and we associate majority with power and minority with uh, imbalance or with a uh, disadvantagement. And when you see that in religions, it's a really interesting case. But to your point, Adam, uh, if it's happening to a Muslim mosque or a Jewish temple or a Hindu temple, and uh, in America, we, we may be on common ground here as we're talking about what level can the government uh, distinguish between us, tell us what to do based on what we believe. And as we operate in the public sphere, giving room for people to have different religious beliefs. Yeah, And beyond that, I think sometimes we create in this that there's a non-religious view, but I think even understanding that atheism is a protected mm-hmm. religious view. That's but we right. operate in a country that almost thinks like atheism is yeah. not, that's exclu- yeah. That's actually fair ground, you can say whatever you want, but atheism is a protected view here that even, I've seen somebody say recently, you know, that you believe that, you know, we believe in a, a creator God that created everything from nothing. And there are other people out there that believe in a magical explosion that everything came from that. And they would say there is no supernatural being, but they do believe in this magical. You can describe it however you want. But at the end of the day, it's a religious view about your origin or about morality mm-hmm. or ethics or destiny. I think that is one of the harder problems of this is that there are those, usually those, the nun category or the mm-hmm. I don't I don't have a religion they that they don't see this uh freedom of religion clause as applied to them to them right which so it's it's yes religion is the right word but it's more about saying you can believe it's a belief and and being an atheist is a belief system right um and and so in some sense you are being a big time hypocrite when you say, well, you can practice your belief in your own home. Right. I can practice my belief Everywhere. wherever I want because yeah. I'm, because I'm not God. religious, right? right and right. so it's a, it's kind of a category mistake. Right. It's like, no, 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 you're, you're missing the point. You are religious. You're just religious about atheism, right? Exactly right. And now that, that you can get hung up in the terms, but I think the better way to say it might be to not, to not, you know, make them angry or make them shut down right away is to say, you have a belief system too, is right. what you would say. And that, the, and that the Constitution protects it. That's right. Nobody can force you not to be an atheist in our country. That's right. And it should be okay to ask you about your atheism and it not be like a offensive or like a legal... Like I have the freedom of speech to be able to ask you what you believe about. But think, this is what's interesting, think about how the establishment clause would apply to that as well, meaning you can't establish atheism as Amen. the dominant belief system either. So, you, I mean, in other words, what we're really trying to say is that we are going to be a pluralistic, multicultural, mm-hmm. multi, multi-belief society. Yes. And that's what we need to learn to... And if you go back again to what the framers, the reason they taught things like great books and civics classes was the point was, we're all going to try to... This makes you a good citizen. What the education was about becoming a good citizen, meaning to live in a society that is diverse and these kind of things. Now, they didn't do a good job of that, obviously, but that was Mm -hmm. the point of so much of this. It was like they knew it was a foregone conclusion that we were going to live in a place where we were going to be challenged and have different belief systems. It seems like everything nowadays is sort of trying to divest itself of any 
of any position that says, well, I actually believe something. Yeah. Um, you know, and that that comes from this category mistake that we're talking about, which is that people who are atheists, what they really think is, no, I don't believe something in like that faith sense. Yeah. I know something. Yeah. Mine's you know? based on facts. Yes. Is what exactly. they might say. Yeah. And I, but I love what you just said. Yeah. And I think this is key. That's why I want to repeat it. That our constitution also protects us from the establishment of atheism. That's right. As mm-hmm. a dominant state religion. Yeah. And I think that's something that we need to hold on to as a culture yeah. and hold up that flag to say, hey, you can't do this. Yeah. yeah. You can't establish atheism as the common ground for us to have to function in. Mm-hmm. If I'm a Christian, you can't make me do that. That's right. Okay. Let me let me stir this up a little bit from what we were just talking about. We talked about like the the, the constitution can establish, cannot establish atheism as the the state religion. And yet there are some exemptions that religions in particular, not atheism, We'll get that there are exemptions, there are benefits the government affords, like uh, non-secular companies, organizations, uh, 501c3s. There's benefits from the government. And there's debates around, one, whether or not religious institutions should accept those benefits, and two, whether or not our government should offer them based on these laws. Adam, Elizabeth, have you guys heard these debates, participated in them? You know what I'm talking about? You want to take us from there? I remember sitting in a church service... And the pastor, not the village. Um, the pastor, <laughs> Qualifier, not my current not trying church. to throw Matt under the bus. <laughs> um, and he just talked about the 50C3 um, dynamic and that that might not be kind of the tax benefit for charitable donations and that that might get taken away. Um, and just the response from the pastor and the congregation and this idea that it's a great benefit, but it's not necessarily something that we should feel entitled to and that we should be able as a, the people of God to be confident that the Lord will sustain us outside of the government giving us that benefit. But I think the idea that we have to understand what it means for us to live in religious freedom in this country, and it comes with benefits, but it also comes with costs. Um, and I think we're going to start to feel some of those costs in a way that we have not felt them before. Yeah, I- Yes, I think that's true, and I think it's on the tape. I think you're going to hear more and more the idea of churches, in particular, losing their, um, um, you know, their protected tax statuses. Right? Um, you don't get taxed on certain things. Uh, Even individual ministers do not. Yeah, based yeah. on housing, yeah. housing and yeah. certain things. Yeah. Now, the reason for that, the argument is that th- that churches provide a public good. Mm-hmm. Uh, religions in general, but churches provide a public good, uh, and so that's why they're exempted. Uh, there's other arguments in there as well, but that's the big one, meaning they recognize that as a mediating institution, meaning it, a, another institution besides the government, they provide good for society. Here's the problem, again, it all the idea of taking it away all stems from a category, that same category mistake, because... It's not just churches that gets the tax break status. Right. It's all religions, include and mm-hmm. other and charitable organizations. Yeah. Now there is, churches get an automatic status, meaning even if you don't apply for it, there you can claim right. it. Now they most places though still have the right to demand that you show your tax exempt status. So almost all churches will try will apply for this five hundred one c three tax exemption. I know this is probably pretty boring to some people, but I would say it's the category mistake again to say, well, churches shouldn't have it because you're establishing a religion. Well, then who would still get it? 
secular organizations, which we just saw, well, that is a belief system in and of itself. So I think if we were consistent in saying that it's not just churches that are getting the benefit of this tax exempt status, it's any it's an, any non-for-profit who's providing some sort of social good that yes. we all have to apply for and those kind of things. And if you were just to remove churches, then what you would be doing is helping establish a secular mm-hmm. or atheist belief system as the dominant religion, or you would at least be providing a benefit that other people wouldn't be able to get just because of their religion. Does that make exactly sense? Right. Yep. Yeah. And so secular or Christian, yeah. if you meet a certain criteria, that's right. you can be exempt from certain taxes that's within right. our government system. That's yeah. right. And so the misunderstanding some people do have is that, oh, this is something that Christians, this majority powerful group is not paying their share. That's right. Or with their facility, they're not paying taxes like the rest of us. And yeah. they go, well, any organization that meets this criteria would be that. And there's a reason behind that. It's not just political favor. They're no. not just trying to curry the political favor of nonprofits and churches. And Dallas, I believe, has many, as many nonprofits as any other city in the United States. There are so many nonprofits, and they are all across the spectrum of beliefs and all across the spectrum of secular or religious. And goods and services. Yeah, you're exactly right. And yep. do a ton of different things. Yep. And yes, there are people that abuse that system. Sure. Absolutely. There are people that behind the in the name of philanthropy are paying uh, themselves, paying employees, yeah, yeah. and 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 while it's a not for profit, they are profiting off of these things. Certainly, we see that there's a toxic charity too, where it's hey, we're we're not actually doing anything good for people; we are doing good for ourselves in the name of other people, and certainly we don't want that. But one of the things I hear often when we talk about religious liberty is kind of this like uh, screaming out, "Oh, this is persecution! This is like the Book of Acts! This is like our government coming down on us!" Do you guys feel like? Uh, the Christian church today has a little bit of a persecution complex around religious liberty, or do you feel like it's, it, man, they're entitled to that. It, it is a pretty anti-Christian world right now. And I think, because I think to quickly go back to what Adam was talking about, this dynamic that there are things, especially specifically as, as Christians, that we believe that people would put in the category of discrimination. I think when you, especially when you think about sexual identity sure. and those conversations. And so the dynamic of there having to be a dominant belief system for those things and how we engage in that um, because we will say we don't condone or support certain ways of being and other people do. Mm-hmm. And so how we engage with that specifically with, well, hey, if you don't do these things from the government, then your benefits get taken away. Yep. Yep. Um, and so I think that also to segue into what you're talking about, Adam, um, about persecution. I just feel like when we say we're persecuted as a church in America, and then we say that alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ who are persecuted overseas, we just, yeah, it's just not something. It pales in comparison. Pales in comparison to that. I I totally agree. I think, yes, the church right now has sort of that alarmist stance, you know, in terms Mm -hmm. of persecution. The sky is falling. sky is falling. And and we don't need to be... That's the wrong perspective. At the same time, what I don't want to deny people is that... I, we are not people of fear, so I'm not saying we right. need to act and to be afraid or anything mm-hmm. like that. But there is, there things are changing, right? Uh, it is true that what you know um, that what was sort of accepted or even just presumed or assumed is that's no longer the case. So all these questions of identity that are coming, you know, all these there's a lot that's changing, and I think. 
um, the church would be foolish. Like I, for instance, nobody would have been seriously arguing that churches should lose their tax exempt status in the eighties. Nobody, mm-hmm. there might've been one or two people bringing that up, but I mean, it wasn't like making the news, you but know, this year it was in the, the primaries. This year it? it's yeah. in the primaries. Yeah. So I, that's a difference, right? That's mm-hmm. different. Um, you know, uh, uh, and there's, that's, that's just one example. There's all kinds of different examples. And so, um, I, I think the, the point of what I'm trying to say is it is true true that the sort of dominant status being unquestioned, right, of, of Christianity being unquestioned, uh, that, that's, that that is going away. Mm-hmm. And that does have very real consequences Big and time. changes associated yeah. with it. It's, it. And it's okay for people to react to that. There is a pain associated with that. There is a difficulty, right, associated with that. Most churches or many, many, many churches would close their doors if they lost their tax-exempt status. That's a really big deal. Um, uh, or I've heard that. I haven't done the fact-checking myself, but I've heard that over and over again, you know, to pay the property taxes and to pay some of the things they would have to pay. They'd probably end up having to close their doors. Certainly many them, would. Yeah. Certainly many would. Um, but at the same time, to, to, to try to say that we are a person, nobody is being killed by the government for their, for being a Christian. Mm -hmm. That's not, that's not a thing that's happening, you know? Um, um, and, and that, and nobody's being killed by the government, but there is certainly, even the fervor of uh, violence against other religions, you'd have to say is probably greater in this country than towards Christianity. So yes, they might be discuss- discussing tax-exempt status, but I mean, I think there was another synagogue shooting not too long ago, right? Mm-hmm. Where people are, where Jews are being murdered, you know? Yeah. And so like, there's a difference there. Does well, that make yeah, sense? Yeah, and there is a difference. And we, we, we didn't talk much about this, but there are limits to religious liberty when it comes to if my religion would allow me to infringe on someone else's religious sure. liberty, then those things come head to head. The same way we talk about free speech and hate speech yeah. and go, where yeah. do you draw the line between you can say whatever you want, and but if you say this, there are going to be consequences. Yeah. Same way you have freedom in America unless you break these laws. And guess what? You're going to be in prison. Yeah. And so we, even within religious liberty, and when it comes to other people's rights, we have to navigate this world of how do we in the world in America where religious liberty is a little bit ran out of control when it, you can get ordained on the internet or you can yes. do things that for other people might be considered illegal with substances or things like that. And or there are religions of polygamy and religions of child brides that in America we would say, no, that's still the law of our land, would say that's not the case, at least for right now. Yeah. And so how will those conversations work themselves out in the years to come? I'm interested to see, but where uh, one of the things... I think as I land the plane on this topic, it's interesting to look around the world and see places where religious liberty, like we have in America, does not exist, and you still see the Church of Jesus Christ thriving. Yeah, You still see people coming to know Him. You see underground churches. The, the loss of religious liberty for Americans does not mean the end of Christianity. That's right. Nor does it mean preventing God doing what He wants to do or His will being done. And while I do appreciate religious liberty, and I want to advocate for religious liberty, and I do think if in particular, obviously, I want to advocate for Christian liberty, I am not afraid of a future where God's plans are thwarted, or where He's looking at America and going, oh no, what are we going to do? God is sovereign over history. He is doing what He wants. He has a plan, and yet this world is 
broken. And so while I want religious liberty, what I really want is for everyone to know their Savior, Jesus Christ. Because mm. while there are many religions in the world, there is only one way to heaven, and that is a narrow path, few who find it. But the way, truth, and life is Jesus Christ. And so that's what I want, and I want the freedom to express that. And really, for you Christians listening to this, I want you to operate out of that freedom boldly in a country that protects your right to say it. You can be a Christian and be a plumber and be a Christian and be a mechanic and be a Christian and be a counselor. And this country has laws to protect you from anybody saying you cannot. And so let's walk in that boldness and evangelize our neighbor. Love them the best way we know how by sharing our love of Jesus Christ with them. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. Today's episode was recorded and mixed by Chris Starrett and produced by David Roark. If you like what you heard, please give us a great review where you listen to the podcast. And as we've shared before, we've opened up a patron account. So if you like what you hear, would you please consider supporting us? You can do that by going to patron.podbean.com slash culture matters. Thanks and God bless.